There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love that I've ever found comes like a flood that comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. Take of the Lord's Supper. We also remember that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. That the old has gone and the new has come. We remember that the cross wasn't the end of the story. But instead, as the songwriter says, the ground began to shake and the stone was rolled away and his perfect love could not be overcome. 
moon and stars they went the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was falling his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse breath you gave. One final breath you gave as heaven looked away and the Son of God was laid in darkness. A battle in the grave, the war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. The ground began to shake. The stone was rolled away. His perfect love could not be overcome. Now, death, where is your sting? Church body this morning. 
to come before the Lord this morning, and uh, I want to mention a couple of things that we uh, want to bring before Him. Um, I have a couple of thank you notes uh, that I would like to read. Uh, one is from Dave Road. Good to have Dave with us this morning. Uh, Thanks to all who prayed for me during the six weeks before surgery and since. Uh, I'm doing well, uh, but have a way to go before I throw the cane away. Uh, so continue to pray for Dave uh, that he's able to do that very quickly. Uh, then I have a note also from Dorothea Lebo, and she says, I want to thank all of you, uh, this church family, for the prayers, cards, and meals prepared for us after my recent surgery. I truly felt the prayers and saw God's hand in the whole situation. I'm so thankful for the gall attack happening when it did. Uh, Please continue to remember both Reed and I in prayers, in your prayers, as we prepare for my knee replacement surgery scheduled for January the 13th. Wishing you all a a new year filled with lots of love, happiness, and good health. Um, Remember to to keep looking up. Thanks again, love, Dorothea Lebo. So, uh, Dorothea, we thank you uh, for that card, and we continue to pray uh, for you. Pastor Tony would like to thank all of you for the cards that uh, you sent on behalf of um, the passing away of his grandfather. And so thank you so much for doing that. Uh, Also, you'll see a new name. Uh, We've added Ted Kider's name to the list here. Uh, Ted uh, has started chemotherapy, and uh, we need to pray for Ted as he is experiencing some side effects uh, due to that chemotherapy. Uh, Also... um, You'll notice uh, Helen Hoffman uh, is on our list. She has returned to the Polk Assisted Living. Uh, So that's a change uh, on your sheet. And um, I think that's all I have uh, for now. Father God, we thank you this morning that we once again can come before your throne. Lord, it's an awesome place to be able to come and experience your grace in times of need. Uh, Father, you are a God of great mercy, a great God of great love, and so we thank you this morning that you have allowed us to come once again into this place. Lord, I thank you for this church uh, in which you, Lord, have raised up. Father, over many, many years, You have brought us now to this place. And I pray, Lord, that as we come before you, that this might always be a house of prayer. That, Father, we might recognize the importance of bringing our petitions before you. That we might acknowledge and praise you, Lord, for who you are and all the wonderful things you've done. Father, we look at the list before us and 
We do pray for these, Lord, who have come through surgery, <coughs> these, Lord, who are anticipating surgery. And once again, Lord, we lay them at your feet. We pray that you, Lord, might work in the lives of these folks in a special way. Go above and beyond what we could ask or think. Father, we thank you, too, that you brought us together today to come before this table. Lord, it reminds us once again of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Father, we thank you for the salvation which is ours and ours alone through Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for his life. Thank you for his death. We thank you that Jesus is seated at your right hand, interceding on our behalf. And so, Lord, as we intercede on behalf of others, we thank you for that privilege, the privilege of bringing folks before you. Father, would you bless our time this morning, and may you be glorified in all the great and wonderful things that you have in store. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
do wait for our Lord's return. Let's take a few moments to stand up, step out, turn around, shake a hand, welcome those around you to our service this morning. Good job, very nice. And then once again, that was like the best you've done that one in like every practice up to now. <laughs> Okay, I invite you to take your hymn book now and turn with me to hymn number hymn number 63, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. Hymn number 63. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I know you just sit down, but that way the junior church can be dismissed and they can get out easier. Hymn number 63. <clears throat> All hail the power of Jesus. 
When you hear the word king, uh, what do you picture in your mind? Someone sitting on a throne, someone wearing a crown, someone holding a golden scepter, someone who is absolute, in, in absolute authority and power. Remember the wise men? The wise men, a few months, I suppose, after the birth of Jesus, they came to the house uh, to see the child. And when they got there, it says they bowed down and they worshipped. And then they left. And after they left, an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and warns Joseph to flee down to Egypt, to flee the wrath of Herod, who wants to kill baby boys. When I think of the life of Jesus, I think of anything but the life of a king. Even though he is, of course, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Emmanuel, God with us. There's a passage of scripture in the book of Philippians that I would like for us to read together. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. And I would suggest that you look at the screen behind me so that we're all reading the same translation. But let's read this together. Philippians chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul tells us that our mindset, our attitude, ought to be the same as that of Jesus. And in this passage we read, the attitude of Jesus is an attitude of self-sacrificing humility and love for other people. We see this attitude in the life of Jesus, but no more so than when he was in that upper room. And the Bible says he stooped down to wash the feet of his disciples. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that it was on the night in which he was betrayed. It was that night when Jesus took his disciples to a private room, the upper room. And there, just hours before his crucifixion, the Bible says he stooped down. He was finished with his public teaching. His ministry was over, except now to his disciples. And he stoops down and he washes their feet. This all took place during a Passover meal. It was the time when Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Communion. It's interesting because John, the disciple, he records for us a lot of information about that event in that upper room. John actually takes five chapters, chapter 13 through 17, to give us information as to what happens in that private room with those, that band of disciples. And yet, curiously, he doesn't mention the institution of the Lord's Supper. In the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each one mentions Jesus at that Passover meal, taking the bread, giving it to them, and saying, this is my body. Each one of the Synoptic Gospels speaks of the cup, as Jesus says, this cup is the New Testament in my body. And as often as you drink it, you remember me. Each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mention this institution of the communion service. Except for John. John takes five chapters to describe the events in that upper room and never mentions the bread nor the cup. But what he does mention that the other three Gospels do not is the washing of the feet. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 13? John chapter 13. And well, I want for us to look at this text. Now, before the upper room experience, I might add this. The disciples were arguing <laughs> about who is going to become the greatest in the kingdom of God. 
That was important to this band of disciples. Who's going to sit on your right hand, Jesus, when your kingdom comes? And who's going to sit on your left hand, Jesus? These places of importance. These places of prominence. And then we come to chapter 13. And it almost gives Jesus an opportunity to teach these disciples a good lesson. If you want to be great, then you better become the servant of all. Now that's the lesson. If you want to be great, then you need to become the servant of all. In the first five verses, we see a king who serves. A king who serves. Follow with me in John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we need to understand that at this point, the disciples, they still don't quite understand the big picture. They still don't understand why Jesus came. They're still looking, as all the Jews were, for a Messiah who would set up their kingdom. A Messiah that would overthrow the Roman government. And they were looking to Jesus to do this. We looked a couple weeks ago at Isaiah chapter 9. And this is what we read. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, the peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. The disciples and the Jews were looking for a Messiah that would come to establish the throne of David, to overthrow the Roman government. They seemed to ignore Verses like those in Isaiah chapter 53 that speak about the Messiah being pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The lamb who would be led to the slaughter. So here are the disciples looking to Jesus to set up this kingdom. The king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. The one who came from God. And so when Jesus gets up from the table and he takes off his outer garment and he wraps around his waist a towel 
and fills a basin with water and stoops down and begins to wash the disciples' feet, they were utterly shocked and amazed at what he was doing. What Jesus did was normally done by a slave, normally done by a servant. Most hosts had servants or slaves nearby, so when the travelers would come, they would be the ones to wash the dusty feet as they came through the door. For Jesus to stoop down was shocking to these disciples. It was just not right. Everything about this picture is so wrong in their minds. But what Jesus was doing was trying to stir the hearts and the attitudes of these disciples. Remember, they were just talking about who is to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus performs this act of a slave. Then we have the king who cleanses. Let's keep reading. Because now Jesus comes to Simon Peter. <laughs> now he's about ready to wash the feet of this disciple. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet too? You're going to wash my feet, Jesus? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Oh, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. I, I, I can only imagine Peter as he's watching Jesus go from one disciple to another. As he goes down the row. And now he comes to Peter. And Peter said, Lord, you're going to wash my feet too? Jesus said, Peter, I, I know you don't get this right now. <laughs> I know you don't understand what's taking place, but yeah, I've got to wash your... No. Jesus, you're not washing my... See, Peter's mindset was, he's ma our master. This is the Lord of lords. This is the Messiah. And he should not be stooping down and washing our feet. We're the disciples. We're the students. We ought to be washing his feet. Of course, Peter never offered to do that. Not me, Lord. Never. 
And so he protests. Now, before you start to scold Peter, <laughs> which is what we like to do at this part in the text, think back over your own life. Rewind. Have you ever said no to God? Have you ever not, has there ever been a place in your life when you just, you didn't understand what God's doing? What in the world is God doing in my life right now? What is he doing? Have you ever protested against God? No, Lord. This is all backwards. This is all backwards, Lord. You're not doing what needs to be done. You're not doing the right thing here. This is, this is all just wrong. And we oftentimes as well, we, we protest with God. God, you're not doing things the way they should be done. God, you're not doing these things the way I think things should be done. And it reminds us again of the ways of God being not our ways. And Peter says, Lord, no. No. Well, Jesus said, I didn't think you'd understand. But Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then Peter, you don't have any part with me. You don't have any part with me. And I believe what Jesus is doing at this point is he's looking beyond this immediate incident and he's looking to what it symbolizes. Peter, you need a spiritual cleansing. And this external washing of the feet is a picture of that. You know, in 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all need a spiritual cleansing. In other words, we all go through life and our feet get dirty in the world in which we live and we sin against God. And it's not that we need a complete bath. We've already been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But we need those, that daily cleansing. We need that daily forgiveness. And so Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, no part with me. Fellowship is broken, Peter, if I don't wash your feet. And Peter says, whoa, then I'm all in. If, if that's the case, then I am all in. But if washing my feet is a good thing, then you might as well wash my hands. You might as well wash my head. Give me that complete bath. And then Jesus comes back and says, Peter, you don't need the whole bath. Peter, you've been clean. You've been forgiven. You just need your feet washed. And then Jesus, he on this very physical level, you know, he, he says, I think, what everybody in that room would understand as they're all listening. Can you imagine the disciples listening to this conversation between Jesus and Peter? They're all ears. And Jesus says in verse 10, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet because the whole body is clean. You're clean, Peter, and though not every one of you. The spiritual level, 
if we move from the physical level, what he's saying spiritually is the once and for all bathing is that initial cancellation of sin at conversion. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, when you ask God to forgive you of your sins and put your faith in Jesus alone to save you, the Bible says your sins have been erased. Every one of them. Your sins have been thrown into the deep blue sea. Your sins have been carried as far as the east is from the west. You have been clean because of the blood of Jesus. You don't need another bath. But what you need are your feet clean. Because as we walk through life, we continue to sin. So on the spiritual level, what he's speaking about is, is we still need, and Christians, we do. We need that continual time in which we come before God and confess our sins. And God says he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us. So on the spiritual level, the bath is that initial cancellation of sin. The foot washing is the daily forgiveness of sins as we come before God and ask him to do so. So we have a lesson in humility, a lesson here in selfless service, but we also have that lesson as well. And that is, is that we as Christians, as John says elsewhere in his first letter, confess your sins and do it on a daily basis so that the fellowship that is ours with God might not be interrupted. Our fellowship is interrupted when we sin. And then a king who commands. We come to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus finishes washing the feet of the disciples. He takes his towel off, puts back on his garment, and he returns to the table. And he looks at his men and says to them, Now, do you understand what I just did? Now do you get what I have just shown you? Now you, he said, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord. And rightly so, because that's who I am. I am your teacher. You're my disciples. You're my students. You call me Lord. 
And the word here means master. You call me your master. Jesus doesn't say, that's not who, Jesus said, you're right, that's who I am. I am your teacher, and I am your Lord and master. Now, you go and do what I just showed you what to do. I am in that supreme place, and I have every right to be served. I am your Lord. I am your teacher. I have every right for you to stand or stoop before me and wash my feet. But I washed your feet. Now you go out and you do the same. As the Lord of lords and the King of kings, Jesus didn't have to do what he did, but he chose to do so. He chose to serve. He chose the towel. He chose to stoop. He chose to wash their feet. And he's saying to them, I am your Lord and I am your teacher. And you're not greater than I am. You're my student. And you're not greater than your teacher. You're servants. You're not greater than I. But be like me. Be like me. Be humble. Be humble. Serve others with selfless love. Be willing to perform the most menial tasks for other people. It was James and John who argued with each other and they came to Jesus. And it was James and John who said, Jesus, when your kingdom comes, when, when you set up this kingdom, one of us ought to sit on the right and one of us ought to sit on the left. That's the way it ought to work, Jesus. I can only imagine what the other disciples must have been thinking. I think the Bible actually says they became a little bit indignant. You know, when they heard these two saying that they belonged in these important positions. And Jesus said, following that, he says, you know, that's what that's the way Gentiles think. That's the way the people of the world think. They think about greatness. But man, that's, that's not how we're to think. That's not how we're to think. And I would invite you once again to read with me in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, again, please look on the screen behind me. But in Mark chapter 10, in verse 43... Uh, this is um, what Jesus says uh, after uh, James and John uh, ask him to sit one on the right and one on the left. But we come down to verse 43, and this is what we read. Would you read this with me? Read this along with me. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be great? Then you have to be a servant. Why? Because you need to be like me. And the ultimate, the ultimate display of this humility, of this servanthood of this selfless love 
is in the cross. Jesus came to this world as a servant. A servant who would suffer and die for our redemption. You see the parallel between the Last Supper, the institution of this, this, this Last Supper, and the cross. Because in both, we see serving. In both, we see Jesus humbling himself. In both, we, under, we see men who, who didn't quite get it, who didn't quite understand what was taking place. But Jesus, the Bible says, came to serve and to give. To serve and to give his life as a ransom. We sing that song, he paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. And that's what Jesus did. The ultimate display of humility and service. For Jesus to give his life a ransom for many. And what Jesus did that night during that time of foot washing was he instituted the Lord's Supper. It was during that meal that he got up from the table. It was during that meal that he sat there with his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. Take this cup, this is my blood. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 and just listen. I think sometimes we hear this time and time again, and, uh, but, but I want you to listen once more. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you take your hymn books and let's sing together, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Hymn number 200 and 88. Hymn number 288. Why don't you stand with me and we'll give you just a minute to stretch uh, before we come to, our, uh, to the Lord's table. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieve how pre 
face appear the hour <clears throat> through many dangers toils and snares I have already come tis grace hath brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home when we've been there <clears throat> bright shining as the sun we've no last days sing god's praise we first begun. Thank you. You may be seated. I do want to invite uh, all of you to join us around this table. Uh, the Bible says that if you have come to that place, as we mentioned earlier, uh, where you know you're a child of the kings, uh, you know that you've been uh, forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ, this is a time to come and celebrate and rejoice and all the great and wonderful things which God has done. In just a moment, uh, the men are going to join me here at the front of the church, and uh, they will be given plates, and um, two of the plates have bread cubes, and two of the plates uh, have the cup uh, with grape juice. And so um, we're going to pass this out to you. The bread represents the body of Jesus, as we read in 1 Corinthians 11. It's the body, it's the, it's the bread that Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. And it was the cup that represents the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed for the remission of sins so that we might have uh, forgiveness. Um, and so just, in just a couple of moments, uh, you'll receive uh, the tray with bread and then the tray uh, with the cup. Please hold these. It's been our tradition uh, to hold both the bread and the cup until everyone has been served. And then when the men join me once again at the front, uh, we'll eat the bread and then we'll drink the cup together. Uh, this does show uh, unity uh, within the body of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask that the men join me, if they will, at the front of the church. We're going to begin with the bread, and again, please hold the bread until everyone has been served, and then uh, we'll eat uh, together. Father, we thank you this morning. Uh, we just appreciate so much the fact that you were willing uh, to lay down your life for us. Uh, for, Father, you have loved us in such a way that uh, you would send your only begotten Son, and for that we thank you. Father, as we eat of this bread, may it remind us of that wounded and broken and suffered, suffering body uh, that Isaiah speaks about, that was crushed, uh, Lord, for our iniquities. And so we thank you for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
And the cup, of course, represents his blood. Father, we thank you that what the bulls and goats in the Old Testament were unable to do, for, Father, their blood was not sufficient. But then we come, Lord, to the New Testament, where it says that Jesus was able to lay down his life once and for all. We thank you for his blood that was able to cleanse and take away the sins of the world. And we thank you that you have taken away our sins, that you, Father, have erased the slate clean for what we could not do for ourselves. Father, you did for us through your Son. And for that, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
that can cleanse us but the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together. So we thank you, our Father, and pray that our minds have been focused on you. For, Father, you are a great and mighty God. Father, with now the life that you've given us, eternal and abundant, Father, help us to walk worthy of who we are. May we, as your children act like Christ, behave like Jesus. And help us, Lord, as we go from this place to focus on others. Lord, life is not about us, but help us to be servants and humble and show selfless love to those around us. We thank you for the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. As the men are making their way to the pews, would you stand? And we're going to sing a closing hymn, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. And I don't know the number yet, but 287. Thank you, Steve. 287. My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. Uh, this is found in our hymn book uh, under the um, topic of a witness. Uh, so as we sing this, we are witnessing to the fact uh, that we are the children of God. And so let's sing this with, uh, with gusto as we leave this place in 2017. You know, my wife and I this morning, we actually were uh, watching a little bit of Fox News. And um, they have a man... Uh, Father Jonathan, who comes, and um, he said, you know, we make all kinds of resolutions, which are all fine, you know, the weight loss and the this and the that, but he mentioned what we talked about this morning. Wouldn't it be a great New Year's resolution to say, you know, this year I'm going to try and be a servant for others? Let's sing together. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other, <coughs> I need her <coughs> plead. Jesus and that he died for me enough for me 
that Jesus saves ends my fear and doubt a sinful soul I come to him he'll never cast me out I need no other argument I need no other <laughs> My heart leaning on the word, the written word of God. By my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. We need no other. he died my great physician heals the sick the lost he came to save me his precious blood he shed for me his life he gave no other <laughs> need no other that Jesus died and that he died for so father based upon the finished work of Jesus we know that we are your children we know that we are in your family we know that you have given to us eternal life father i pray as we go from this place that we might behave and act like Jesus that we might show uh, selfless love to those around us. You're a great and wonderful God, and we thank you for the salvation which has been provided for us by grace and through faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.